everybody, welcome back to Mr. Misfits. It looks a little weird, that's okay, but Brandon's back, yay! Yeah, I don't have my soundboard, otherwise I'd give you actual applause, but... Yeah, I feel like it's been uh, around the world in 30 days, honestly. There's been some hiking on the Appalachian Trail, going to an Ohio State football game with my dad, new job, traveling to Phoenix... Yeah, so you've, you've done deserts, you've done mountains, and then you did whatever this area of Ohio is. You know, we... You've, the tundra. <laughs> the tundra. So, yeah, Brandon's back. You know, he, he missed our live draft, even though he's the one that actually scheduled it. He still managed to mess up the schedule. He, he then was off for work. Luckily, we were able to have Rob Elder and Jake Dobrin step in and, and still give us the content that we know you all really want. So, Brandon's back, though, and Brandon is back this week in his home because I am still getting over the sickness I had last week. But we're also back because we, what was it, Brandon, three weeks ago? Was that when I this was? Three or four weeks yeah. ago, yeah. Three weeks ago, there was no episode because our microphones... The last time Brandon was in studio, the microphones refused to record. But what we talked about was extremely important. And so we decided we're just going to go back and do it again. And especially in light of this past, like, three days specifically within Christianity, this has become an even more important topic for us to actually discuss. So what we're going to talk about today is how we can actually have disagreements among believers, which seems like something super simple, because in reality, it is super simple. It's just that none of us actually do it simply. (laughs) And that's where the first disagreement starts right there. That's right, because we can't even agree on that. But, you know, we want to start out by making sure that we have clarification on what it is we're talking about, but we're not even going to Webster's this time. We're just going to be very clear from the beginning. The first thing we are going to be clear on is, because if nothing else, you need to catch this. Disagreements among believers are not sinful. Just plain and simple it is not sinful to disagree with other christians correct and even to kind of touch on that a little bit a few episodes ago i guess it's been about a month now going back to our our word peace um, right kind of talked about that a little bit too where we discussed that within peace that doesn't always mean agreement either and there's a way to create peace and have still disagreements either about your personal ministry or about different things, um, but still be loving about that and still being connected by the body of Christ at the end of the day. And so that actually is where we're going to start with the other clarifications here, is that when we're talking about disagreements, what we, we are going to put them into four categories, maybe five, especially with what's been going on recently. We may need to add the fifth category to make sure we're clear on it. But we don't have to agree on these four things. Theology, philosophy, methodology, which is our three tiers, 
those three things we can have disagreements on without it being sinful. And then general disagreements among believers is fine. You know, you heard very clearly when Brandon was gone during the draft, how often Rob the Elder was in disagreement with the decisions that other people were making during the draft because it was messing him up a lot. That yeah, is more we than his, a uh, huddle. He had a full draft sheet there, and then I just oh yeah, was he, available to me, and I was happy well, with it. If you if you haven't if you haven't watched the video of the draft, which I understand it's a longer video because we did an interview and a live draft, but if you just fast forward through to about the three quarter mark and just watch Rob's hand, you just see a lot of cross, 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 and then he started actually writing more in. His list got about three times longer by the end of the whole thing. (laughs) But those sort of disagreements are fine. And then the fifth category that we're going to add this time that we didn't have last time is, it is okay to disagree on politics. We're going to just actually make that statement because unfortunately that statement has gotten uh, the opposite of that statement is what has been being broadcasted the past few days. So all that to say, though, even though it is not sinful to be in disagreement, it is possible to be in sin while disagreeing. Yep. And specifically, there are two areas that that is the case. So the first area is it's in the heart of the people that are in disagreement. And then the other side of it is the actual goal behind the disagreement itself. So, you know, the heart of those disagreeing would be the whole idea of why are you guys even arguing? Can potentially give you... A, a a sinful stance towards disagreeing. So, Brandon, give us a couple of options here. Heart postures in an argument, typically, why we argue would be what? What, what sort of heart postures, emotional aspects of disagreements do we normally have? Um, some of it can come out of anger a lot of times where either something that's been done historically to them um, or to a group can come out in anger sometimes. And just having that personal experience of that, how do you not understand, uh, which is also another one, the understanding. But again, part of that comes from anger of the, what do, what do you mean? It's not blue. Like clearly it's blue and you're just angry. That's a terrible case, but something so here's like that. The question. Where- Here's the question then, Brandon. Is anger a sinful stance or not? It depends. That one is also a touchy one because people like to also plant their flag on the, oh, it's righteous anger. And so that's a very thin line to toe. Um, well, let, let's let's make it not so thin here. Let's Let's actually separate out what actually gets us from anger to sinful anger there's a different word that we typically use for that and that would be hate hate ding 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 if i had the the (laughs) soundboard but i don't because we're all messed around today yeah hate is a sinful stance to take because hate is about trying to destroy the other person Mm -hmm. 
anger is just you can't stand the other person at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Which we see a lot, but it does not necessarily involve hate, even though a lot of times it does. Yeah, but you already started some of the other Yeah. <laughs> you already started some of the other ones. So um understanding should be part of the reason why people have disagreement occasionally is we're trying to understand each other. Um with that Unfortunately, the, one of the other ones that we get is ignorance. Just, you know, the other person is ignorant of what we are actually talking about, which really in a lot of ways defines social media uh, as a whole. Um, you know, confusion, which, you know, I'm sure most of you are like, well, half the time you're you, after listening to you, you leave us in confusion. So <laughs> confusion is not one of the sinful, sinful states. And it's not our intent. It's not our intent either. Um, the other one that is a problem at times is jealousy. You know, we will argue and disagree over being jealous of somebody else. Now, is that a sinful state of argument? Uh, again, it can be. I could even point to our most recent thing of uh, student loan forgiveness a little bit of sometimes. I could get into a lot of rabbit trails with that. But just the why is somebody else getting something and I am not. They almost... Yeah, I get nothing, so why it's not fair, which, which is kind of the justice side that I see to jealousy, typically, of it's not fair. Well, and, and that's what, you know, the jealousy in itself, the, uh, the word that is the King James word for it that, you know, we would want to throw around if we're going to call it sinful would be covetousness hmm. of this idea of they have it, I want it. And so that is a sinful setting. A jealousy as far as you know what's going on and I do not, and so I want to understand, is a different state, but it's still jealousy, and that would not necessarily fall into the sinful category of disagreement. Yeah. All of that is very, some of this we already said is very nuanced. Some of it, it depends, it literally depends on the emotion of what's going on. But to clarify what we're talking about as far as how we get to a sinful stance. We're going to jump in and look at Matthew chapter 5, and specifically verses 21 through 26. And so what it says is, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But for... But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Fool, I will be will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversaries while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and then you will be thrown into prison. For I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid every last penny. Now, specifically within this section, Brandon, what does this section tell us about the heart of somebody in the midst of an argument? I think it's the, the gift posture of some of this too, of the offering that is being put up there. <clears throat> And 
basically going to the altar with that gift and knowing that your brother and or sister, but has something against you um, basically to go back first before making that, um, that offering more or less. Well, and, and that's a big, that is part of this. The, the main thing that we see in this section is the fact that your heart posture, you know, this is what we're talking about as far as how potentially your disagreements may be sinful. Is that if your, your heart posture affects every other part of you. So in this, this section, what Jesus is saying is that if your heart is not clear, your heart is not in right standing. If you are holding hate in your heart against somebody else, or you know somebody else is holding hate in your heart against you, before you even try to offer the sacrifice. So this is, you know, in in this time period setting when Jesus is saying this, this is pre-resurrection. So we're talking before you try to go to God for forgiveness. You need to make sure you have gone and gotten forgiveness from everybody else, if at all possible. <laughs> but <Yeah>. the, <laughs> the goal of this is because if our heart posture towards others is wrong, it will affect every other part of us, including the way that we worship. And so if I know that Brandon has sinned against me by continually not showing up to our recordings i need to go to him sunday be, before we start worship before we take communion before whatever the the setting actually is where the conviction comes in i need to go to him before either of us should try and partake within that aspect of worship because if my heart is not right towards Brandon, how can my heart be right towards God? Yeah, and, this and is I know that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry to cut you off. Um, I know for me, yeah, it was kind of taught growing up of, yeah, kind of before offering. I'm not sure specifically why that was that time. I'm not sure if that's really more of that one-on-one -on -one connection, really seeing the representation of the body and blood. Um, being represented in that time coming before Christ to see what that offering that he made as a sacrifice. But I do think it does take that time of self-reflection to kind of take a look at your week, your day, whatever, and say, is there hate anywhere? And is that person in the room? <laughs> because... well, you know, Dr. Dr. Linville talked about this with us back when I don't even, uh, when we were talking about ecclesiology, of why the elements matter and why, you know, we need to have the sacraments matter as far as why we need baptism and why we need communion in some form, because baptism is a lifetime checkpoint of, okay, is this really where you are at? But baptism is a one-time thing normally. And so after baptism, you are you just supposed to go on without accountability and without checkpoints? Communion, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, that is a weekly, monthly, quarterly, depending on your denomination, checkpoint of, is my heart still right with God and with others? Uh, this idea of we are checking in with ourselves, but especially for our relationships with other believers, 
this becomes extremely important. Because if I, as a church member, have a problem with another church member or church leader and do not deal with it, then how is the body supposed to be able to work together towards the mission of what we are doing within our community? The same thing goes if it's not my heart, it's somebody else's. If I know that Brandon is upset with me for continually reminding him he missed a couple recordings, then I still need to go to him and seek reconciliation. Leave the offering at the altar and go and seek reconciliation because if both of our hearts are back in line, then both of us are going to be able to go back to God with our hearts in the right place. And it actually shows a better picture to those around us of what Christ does for us when both of us who have had an issue are able to drop everything and reconcile together so that we can both be reconciled to God together. Which is the picture of what we have with Christ. And let's make it even more challenging between our husbands and wives for those of us that are married. Of yes, how do you live that out on a day to day basis? I mean, we see Paul talk about a little bit, uh, not specifically about husbands and wives, but I think sometimes the most opportune um, application from Ephesians four twenty six and twenty seven, of which goes back to what we talked about before: be angry and do not sin. Kind of that clear call there. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, Because if that sin continues to root and take place, it'll slowly boil up and kind of fester and give the devil root to create separation, um, divide. Like I said, I think that's easily most easily seen within marriage um, because there's small little things that we can get angry about each other at. And if it's, Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, this is where, you know, we didn't actually say this word that we had on our list when we were talking about the different reasons for arguments. But that one specifically, whether it's husband and wife or even parent and child, what it normally starts with is not necessarily anger or hate, but it normally starts with the either just misunderstanding which those are easy to correct and are probably not a heart po- going to affect your heart posture enough that it's not going to allow you to worship together as a family. But the other one is this idea of disappointment. You know, when somebody has disappointed you because of something they have said or something they have done or something that they are teaching or promoting, that is something that when you at when it first starts is not that big of a deal. You know, disappointment is a big deal in terms of our head. As far as, you know, we, we would much rather somebody be angry with us than disappointed most of the time, especially in a familial setting. Yeah. I'm not angry at you. I'm just disappointed, Andrew. Right. But when we allow disappointment to sit and fester, it goes from disappointment to, normally it even skips anger and goes straight to hate because you're not necessarily angry with them. You are angry with the situation surrounding it, 
But the common thread with that situation that has not been dealt with is going to make you have hate towards the person because they're the common thread. And so this is why it's important to have these kind of discussions as far as how do we actually disagree with each other? Yeah. The other big one, which again is not a sin and it wasn't on our list of hurt postures in an argument, but expectation mm. is another one too. And kind of, we set expectations for others. Uh, we set expectations for ourselves and typically they just sit in our head <laughs> and they don't get voiced out loud. So if there's that unmet expectation that somebody's not living up to, yeah, then it can slowly lead into disappointment, anger, hate, and go on from there. But yeah, I think definitely sometimes that's where those expectations slowly gain a foothold and continue to grow and get worse. And and even though like some of this seems like we're saying the same same thing in different words. It's important in this conversation for us to actually make the distinctions between these sort of things because expectations are something that a person puts on somebody else. And when they don't meet those standards, then it becomes disappointment. Disappointment can happen when there are standards that other pe- that the person themselves have set or that the position they are in require and get and when they don't get met disappointment comes in even though they end up to the same place they start out at different points and when we don't acknowledge where it starts we cannot effectively deal with these sort of problems and disagreements and roadblocks whatever word you want to put for that between two people. You know, that that's one of the, the things that within a counseling setting, you have to get down to the root of a problem if you actually want to see change. Just saying, oh, I am an alcoholic, and so I need you to fix my alcoholism, doesn't fix anything unless we get down to the very root of why have you gone this route? So that way we know how to effectively deal with it. And it's the same thing when we are in disagreement with other people and especially with other believers is what is the root of the, of this argument? Is it that we are disappointed in something that you are doing that you didn't even realize would cause disappointment? Are we disappointed in you because you are not meeting the standards that you or your office has set? Are we angry with you for something you said or did to us or to somebody else that we love? Are we angry with you just because of who you are? Are we angry with you because you wore a Michigan shirt on on Rivalry Week? Are you know those sort of things? We've got to get down to the root of what actually is the heart of the matter, so that way we can make sure that our heart posture is correct because when our heart posture is wrong it affects every other aspect of everything and especially for us as believers it especially affects the way that we are able to effectively worship and effectively fellowship together 
And so we're going to get to the second part of this. Or the, the second... Uh, what would we say? Oh, the second way that it becomes a sinful disagreement after we hear from Laird Creative Agency. We'll be right back. Season two of the Ministry Misfits podcast and our awesome theme song are brought to you by Laird Creative Agency. In our social media world, the next connection is always one click or scroll away and your business has to be ready when they find you. That's why Laird Creative is always looking for ways to step your brand up. Whether you're looking to overhaul your brand one time with a new website or want to save money by outsourcing your graphic and media content, Laird Creative Agency is here to help. Laird Creative's mission is to take the difficulty out of the creative process. With Laird Creative, you'll find a dedicated team of artists ready to tackle any creative need that your business has, big or small. If you're looking for an easier way to share the vision of your organization through thoughtful branding and creative content, find them at LairdCreativeAgency.com to get started. Mention the Ministry Misfits podcast and get a free consultation call. Laird Creative, step your brand up. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your online reach. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online listed on all major platforms within minutes of finishing your first recording. We just switched to Buzzsprout for Season 2 and have immediately noticed the difference. With Buzzsprout, you get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into your websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout and the Misfits want to help you get started. Contact us for a free consultation call, and then visit our affiliate link to get started with Buzzsprout. Using this link not only helps support the Misfits, but it also gets you a $20 Amazon gift card. The teams at Buzzsprout and Ministry Misfits are passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. To find out more, go to www.ministrymisfits.com backslash affiliates. We're back. Hey, welcome back everyone to Ministry Misfits. Today, Andrew and I are talking about disagreements and how to properly have disagreements specifically for us as Christians. So we started out that there are um, things that we don't have to agree on for everything. We talked about kind of five different topics, those being theology, philosophy, methodology, kind of going into our three-tier paradigm, um, general disagreements, and then a new one that we added is politics for disagreement. Yes, which we'll, we'll get into why we added that probably here towards the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so more so before the break, we talked about our heart posture in an argument and typically some of the negative heart postures that can come from um, a typical argument. Some of those might be expectation, anger, jealousy misunderstanding and where what that can lead to and how it can 
specifically our affect our worship with God. Um, so as we transition, we're going to kind of talk about still kind of what that posture looks like within worship, but then also what our goal of disagreement should and could look like. Right, because you know the the main thing that we are hoping to be able to convey with this is that it is not sinful to be in disagreement with other believers or with other people, but it can become a sinful disagreement if our heart posture, which is what we talked about before the break, is wrong. And specifically, it's a heart posture that is one of hate and not one of wanting to have understanding or wanting to to come to somewhat of an agreement, even if it's an agreement that we can disagree. And that is what we're going to talk about now, is the other place where it can become sinful is the reason that we are in disagreement to begin with. Why is it that we are having an argument? And so, Brandon, what what are some reasons why you argue with people? Uh, it could be for persuasion, which could be somewhat of changing their mind a little bit. It could even be like a changing of their heart. Um, if we're talking about maybe a heart posture that we talked about previously, it could also be tying back to a theological, philosophical, or met- methodological. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, that could be a changing of heart from that aspect. Um, it could be a, a disagreement of understanding of somebody not realizing something. It could be one of correction, which I think we sometimes will see in a, uh, for lack of better terms, like hierarchy setting. It could be from parent to child. It could be from boss to employee. Sometimes correction can happen there on a up and down level. And then also for reconciliation, which we reconciling, which we kind of talked about a little bit of going to that person. So those are kind of five different areas of where we could have arguing. And and ultimately all of these come from second Timothy three through four. This is in second Timothy three. This is the whole thing of all scripture is God breathed and is useful for what, Brandon? Teaching, correcting, and rebuking. And one more. Training in righteousness. Oh, yes. Is the fourth one, right? (laughs) So teaching a changed mind. We're we're wanting to get or or understanding. We're wanting them to understand something rebuke would be a change of heart and of mind. We want them to see the error and make the repentant correction. Correction, we already said, is correction. You made a mistake, this is what it should be. It's nothing major normally, it's just a we need to correct this so that it doesn't become major. You know, going back to our heart posture again. Training in righteousness is, again, understanding it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's correcting false behavior, and ultimately, because it's training in righteousness, 
It's a matter of being able to be reconciled back to God. Worship. Again, we are wanting to be reconciled to God and honor God for reconciling us. That's what we see with 2 Timothy 3 and 4. And so scripture is one way to help us as believers solve these kind of disagreements. That's that's one that's part of why we say these are the main reasons for argument. Those are normally all very good reasons to argue. But we need to go back again to Matthew chapter 5 because again here we see the ultimate reason for why we should argue specifically in verse 24. Go and be reconciled with your brother and then come offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly or you will be handed over. Reconciliation should always be the goal of an argument. Whether that's reconciling of information, reconciling of a an attitude, reconciling of actual sin, reconciling of expectations and actual expectations of reality, whatever the that needs to be, reconciliation should be the goal of arguments. Why is that the case, Brandon? Because really what does it's that, that do for us? Well, one, it's kind of an example of like what Christ has done for us of basically reconciling our sin um, in a, in a way of of him dying on the cross of some taking up something that we we did done wrong and couldn't carry ourselves. Um, that was terrible. Did you English. just say we did done wrong? Yeah, that. <laughs> That Apparently, I need idea. to add the banjo music for the soundboard for next time. Yeah, anyway, yes, we did we did done wrong, and yet God reconciled <laughs> us. That is one reason. You're correct. Put that on a t-shirt for us. Um, <laughs> now I'm losing my train of thought, but that was where I was kind of initially going. But it's also our heart posture that we're then bringing to God with our worship. And we see the example of typically bringing a clean sacrifice to the altar. And again, that was more of the Old Testament, like you said, before um, the veil being torn. But again, I think it's still that heart posture of how, how are we coming um, before Christ and our posture before him of, of that kneeling down, of that fear of God in a way to know that w- without him, we are, we are still dirty. We are still um, unclean. And so we still are did done running. Yes. <laughs> now there, there's one. you need to go one step further into why this is the correct heart posture as well. If reconciliation is the goal. And like you said, it's largely due to the fact that is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. If reconciliation is our goal going into these things, then going back into our three tiers, the way that we are going to go about this kind of disagreement or argument 
should have Christ at the center. Because again, reconciliation comes from God. Reconciliation comes from Christ. And so if we are trying to reconcile as brothers, reconcile as sisters, reconcile as brothers and sisters, whatever, you know, whatever the situation may be, if we are keeping Christ at the center, then we should be able to reconcile together fairly easily. And I use that term as broad, as as loosely as I can, because it's not going to be easy. No. Sacrifices, humbleness is going to have to happen. But we should be able to at least be able to reconcile together because both of us have been reconciled to God through Christ, and we both recognize that fact. Yep. And so this is an important thing to understand as we go into actually these a few distinctions as to what kind of things we can just agree to disagree on compared to things that we actually do need to come to a full reconciliation point or unfortunately at times even an excommunication point. Now, when we talk excommunication, we are not talking just about you've been kicked out of the church. You're gone. You're, you're dead to us. You're, you know, let, you know, God be your judge type of thing. We are talking about a cutting off of the fellowship. This is what we see in Matthew five, right? We -hmm. leave our gift at the altar. We go in and we are reconciled so that we both can come and bring our gifts to the altar. If that cannot happen, then we are supposed to go back to God and be reconciled back to God. And we leave and the other person is left to their own devices. That's not the way we normally talk about excommunication. We always talk about it handmaid's tale style or Salem witch trial style of, you know, off with your head type of thing. (laughs) But when we talk excommunication, even when we talk excommunication in Matthew 18, of let them be treated like an unbeliever. The thing that we forget to talk about is that how are we supposed to treat unbelievers, Brandon? With love. With love and with evangelistic disciple making of we are wanting to see them reconciled to God. Mm -hmm. It's just that we are not necessarily looking at them as they're all as brothers. They're already reconciled. Now it's a matter of they need to recognize that they are in sin, that they have did done wrong. (laughs) So that they can be reconciled back. I am not going to let that one go. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. We can add it on the soundboard. (laughs) Yeah. So a couple distinctions we need to make with this is that when we talk about disagreements among theology, is that our essentials matter. We've talked about essential doctrines before. Jesus as Lord, the Trinity, the Imago Dei, the Bible as an authority, those sort of things are essentials that we have to stand firm on. We cannot just agree to disagree on those matters. Yep. They have to be resolved fully in order for us to have reconciliation. That's just flat out. There cannot be disagreements among theology essentials that are not dealt with. Because yeah, what one, happens when they're not dealt with, Brandon? Uh, it could lead to 
I'm trying to think the best way. <laughs> I've, I've already screwed up of what I need to say, so it doesn't matter. Anything's downhill from here. But basically <laughs> creating, like as, as a shepherd per se, it could lead to false um, teaching for somebody else taking up that same belief. It normally, it leads to destruction is the, the most overall way to say it. Whether that's personal destruction of the person teaching it, whether that's destruction for the people that are hearing it, whether that's literal destruction of that body where it is separated and it is fractured, or whether that's destruction through spiritual abuses or in some cases physical abuses. When essential theology is disagreed upon and not resolved fully within the body, that is the result. And so yeah. when we talk about disagreeing among believers, if we're talking essential doctrines, we've got to make sure that is solved fully. And that, again, it's solved through teaching, correction, rebuke, training, and righteousness, 2 Timothy 3 through 4. That's why those are the goals of reconciliation is because on essential doctrines especially, Scripture provides us with the, the blueprint for all of it. But there's a very short list of essential doctrines, and there's a very long list of everything else. Yep. If we're talking secondary issues, we can agree to disagree as long as in the end we are reconciled. Mm -hmm. We are able to find reconciliation with each other and the best way to do that is to find the fact that we have common ground in the essentials jesus yeah. is lord amago day you are my brother and you are an image bearer we both are reading the same bible even if we are coming to different conclusions on some stuff we are reading the same gospel story and it has affected our lives in the same way yeah, I, I don't really know. I think it was just like a professor that said this, but I loved what they said the one time of just, who am I to believe that after thousands of years, I'm the one that has the full utmost Christian understanding of everything that's right. ever happened <laughs> for me to just be like, you know what? There's nothing else for me to learn. Like, I don't have to see that other person's viewpoint. I got it all figured out. I think I've got Christianity solved. So it's like, who is it for us to come into that understanding or that place within a disagreement or within people to not even just have those conversations again of those secondary things, theological or not to at least just come into an understanding or a heart posture of learning to understand of where your viewpoint is. Well, and, and it goes beyond that. We can't have a perfect understanding. You know, this is first Corinthians 13 of this idea of, you know, it's a glass, we are looking through a glass darkly. It's, you know, uh, we are, you know, shadows of things to come. All of these different images that Paul uses of, we have this little tiny glimpse of what righteousness looks like that we've been given again through the scriptures and through the, the inspiration of the spirit. But God is so much bigger, you know, Paul and, and Timothy talks about, you know, the or maybe it's Titus, the, the mystery of godliness is great. We are never going to be able to comprehend who God is this side of heaven. But what's interesting is that when Paul talks about this, this again goes into our disagreements. First Corinthians 13 is all about what, Brandon? 
I'm not going to be able to get this one. This is the love chapter, right? Love is patient. Oh, love yes, is kind. Love, patient, kind, yeah. Because yeah. it's about reconciliation. We do these things out of love because if we are going about, especially on secondary issues, you know, if I teach and speak among, with the tongues of men and angels and I prophesy all these great things but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or cleaning cymbals because all I'm doing is making noise. Mm-hmm. And it's not even good noise. It's distracting noise. Because reconciliation is not possible without the love of God being in the midst of it. Again, yes. that goes back to our heart posture. So, yeah. So let's go back to some of those theological essentials in what those are. I know we talked about one of them a few weeks ago with the, the Trinity right. of God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Uh, that was one of them. And it's essential because of why Brandon, See if you remember from a few weeks ago. <laughs> because if you remove basically one of those elements of God, uh, it's not fully God. And so you're basically not fully believing in the fullness of him. Right. If you miss, if you take out one piece, then you're just Missing going into, piece. you're going into just Judaism or you're going into Islam or you're going into some other cult. There are actual cults of Jesus that only acknowledge Jesus and not the father and the spirit. Even though they are pronouncing Jesus as God does not mean that they actually are Christian. Because without the Father, without the Spirit, we cannot understand the Son. It's essential for our salvation because it's the only way to know the one true God. Mm-hmm. What are the other ones, Brandon? Um, that Christ died on the cross and paid the price of our sins and then ultimately rose again. So took on flesh, fully God, fully human, um, died and rose again. And why does the, well, we'll start with the first one. Why does it matter that he is fully God, fully man? Um, because he fully took on flesh as, as we have as well. And basically was sin that was lacking sin. Um, and was that ultimate clean sacrifice that was able to bear that for, for us. And he was able to bear it for us because he was also God, God, which was a requirement. So that's the first piece of it. Why does it matter that he rises again? I don't know why I can't think of this this morning. (laughs) This is first Corinthians 15. It matters that he dies because that is what the scriptures say has to happen. This is, you know, Without yes, death, there is no forgiveness. Without blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Death is the wage of sin. This is what scripture tells us. So without without him being God, he cannot forgive us. Without him being man, he cannot die. Without him dying, we cannot be saved. And without him rising again, we have no assurance of resurrection. Mm. There's no no assurance that death has been defeated unless Jesus rises again. 
So the basic tenets of the gospel are wrapped up in that essential. And so if we can't agree on that, we can't agree on anything. Give us one other one other essential that's a, a big one. I would say knowing God is our creator and coming back to that is being made in God's image. So that Imago day that we've talked about. Right. Why is that important? And this is going to get us into a little bit of current events as well. um it's again i i'll say that kind of that posture of who is our creator our master in a way of of the ultimate worshiping of almost why we're here (laughs) in in a sense of is to to worship and, and be with with our creator our father god well and and beyond that like you said it it get, if God created us and we're in his image, we're image bearers, it gives us our worth. It allows us to have that relationship with God. But it also is what allows us to actually do all this stuff that we're talking about in terms of reconciliation. Because if we are all made in God's image, then we all have the ability to be reconciled. And if we all have the ability to be reconciled because we're image bearers, then the way we treat each other matters. The debates right now going on about Amazon's Lord of the Rings and Disney's new live remake of Little Mermaid play into why the Imago Dei is such an essential doctrine. If you go back and look at Twitter from Friday, I I retweeted... Dr. Abram L., and I can't remember what the L stands for, so I'm sorry, Dr. Abram. But Dr. Abram L., we were talking about the fact that the way that people are approaching black representation within media, as well as the way that people are approaching Christian nationalism, and specifically white Protestant Christian nationalism, Anglo-Protestantism, which has become a big, big buzzword at the moment, is actually making our brothers and sisters of color feel as if they are not brothers and sisters. This is why Imago Dei matters, is that in order to have reconciliation with our brothers and sisters of color, we have to make sure that they know that we view them as image bearers. Mm. Because they know they are image bearers. Yeah. And so when we talk about these sort of things, if we can't agree that everyone is made in the image of God, we are never going to be able to have any kind of disagreement that ends in reconciliation. Yeah. Because the fact that we are all made in God's image is part of what allows us to even get to the point of reconciliation in the first place. Yeah. It's one of those first main ground levels we need to be in agreement with to continue forward. Now, that does lead us into the second tier of our three tiers with the philosophy side of this. 
the politics we can disagree on because it's a philosophy. Philosophies are secondary issues. How you vote does not affect your status as an image bearer. How you vote may affect the way people see how you view other image bearers, but it does not change the fact that you yourself are one. And so yeah. we can have a reconciliation talk. I know for myself, I almost had to work through this backwards of, of coming to a, <laughs> to a realization of, again, I was taught of, all right, if you're a Christian, you're a Republican. And like, that's what I was taught growing up. And so then, I don't know, probably six years ago, going into a church space where I had no, and didn't, you don't typically talk about politics, that and religion are the two things you don't talk about. So in a church, you at least are talking about one of them, religion. <laughs> hopefully, so, hopefully, hopefully, if you're not talking about <laughs> one of them, specifically if you are not talking about religion within your churches, that would be a first first level <laughs> essential theology issue you probably need to try and reconcile. Yes. Just clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but realizing, like getting to know the people there and knowing their hearts, um, and how much they love Jesus and how much they love their community. I, I truly saw who they were as believers and really saw that Imago day in them. And then to later find out of, Oh, they vote differently. I was just kind of like, huh? I'm like, okay, that's, I, I like help me understand of, all right, your back, your upbringing was different of, why you see something here. Um, but ultimately you still love Jesus, which is really what I care about. So that's cool <laughs> that we can disagree on a, a ballot or something somehow, but also seeing how, again, it goes to that Imago day of, okay, not just because you're a Christian, I give you a pass on anything. Um, but truly seeing where these people's hearts were at, and it having being a posture of, of, of Jesus, um, I could have those those conversations and continue to learn from both sides of us, which, which was very healthy. And, and really, that is the difference, because this is something that I see argued a lot also, is what's the difference between correction and rebuke and training in righteousness? Because they're all the same thing, but they're not. Because you, as somebody who had no idea what this person's background was, and has seen something that growing up, the way is taught is that that's something you have to rebuke. They're voting this, which means that they must believe this, so you need to rebuke that, because it is a first-tier theological issue that needs to be addressed. You, though, decided to go in with the idea of, okay, do I need to correct this? Is this something that potentially you may just not understand what you're actually doing here? But instead, what you ended up with is the training in righteousness, which was, help me understand why you have this view. I'll try to help you understand why I have this view. And then we're going to work together to reconcile to each other on these secondary issues to better understand each other, 
to better honor each other, to better love each other, so that way we can worship together, reconciled with each other and to God. You know, that is really what we're trying to get to with all of these sort of things. You know, philosophy is something that is literally designed to be argued. That's that's what debate is. That's what the entire purpose of Greek civilization seemed to think was all about in Athens for thousands of years was we just need to argue about different ideas and eventually we'll come up with something good. <laughs> you know, that that is what philosophy is about. There is no problem with having disagreements in philosophy because that is literally what the field is designed around. But that's why we as Christians understand that second tier is philosophy that is biblically based philosophical principles is that while we have this discussion, we are able to then go back and look at, okay, what does the theological truths that underlie all of this actually say? So that while we're in ta- discussion and disagreement, we still have these first tier things that we hold on to that allow us to actually have this discussion in a healthy way, both healthy in terms of the discussion and healthy in terms of the spiritual reconciliation matters that underlay it. Yeah. And I, and I know I said working backwards as far as like knowing the person and then go, going back to the politics side. But I think this is really, again, going back to the Imago day where we need to start as the forward part of not just knowing somebody's a Christian. And then on top of that, Oh, they're an alcoholic. So what right. I see them as the Christian now at that point, it's like, how do we go out into the world and see everybody created in God's image? And no matter what label somebody else gives them, they give themselves that's not going to change our perspective about them because we know who their creator is and we know who our creator is. And it's the same person that we worship. Well, and and what you're talking about there is also, again, where our heart postures come in is that viewing them as a Christian is a good thing, not a problem. But then saying, Oh, they believe. And so now they have something like alcoholism an addiction and especially for alcoholics, it's an addiction that is also an idol for us to say, Oh, well, you're a Christian. You get a pass is not an act of reconciliation either to God or to each other, because this is something that is harmful to them. And it's something that is harmful to them. Theologically, we can see this through our philosophical principles, biblically based philosophical principles. We can see that it's harmful to them. We understand from a scientific point of view also, both mentally and physically, not going to them in a spirit of, again, correction, not rebuke in a spirit of correction is not having a reconciled spirit. What you are doing at that point is allowing them to continue to work their way down the heart posture list towards something that is much more destructive. And so sometimes going to them in that spirit of correction is okay. Talking to them about this and finding out, okay, they don't act, they're not actually an alcoholic. They're not actually this way. You know, it turns out they are just culturally, this is what they do. They're not in sin. They don't view this as their identity. 
now it's a matter of they're a Christian. They are not in sin. They are their their heart is right with God, but now my heart is right with them again as well. That is the action of correction, but this time it's not a correction of them. It's a correction of myself. Now my heart is right because the other thing that can come from that idea of, well, they're a Christian. They get a pass, pass, but I also know they're an alcoholic is that now when other disagreements come up, now I have a nice fiery arrow that I can use against them. (laughs) And so yeah, now leading them to cause to sin is the, right. would be the other part too. Right. And so now we've gone from an expectation that I have set based off of my reading of scripture, but that was not reconciled with the other person. That expectation that has not been met has skipped past disappointment straight to hate. Because now the purpose is to destroy the other person, and now I've lost sight of the fact that they are made in the image of God. You know, this is why philosophies, we can argue. Methodology, again, that right there is a methodology we can argue, and we can disagree on, and still be reconciled together, if our attitude is correct. General disagreements are general disagreements. They should not affect us theologically if there are a general disagreement. And so we can agree to disagree and move on as long as we are reconciled together in the end. Yep. And we had a good example of this for ourselves during one of our huddles a few weeks ago of we were kind of talking about worship right. specifically. And I which we're hoping to actually stuff. cover in more detail in a full length episode also. So spoiler alerts. Yeah, that would be good. But I was I was kind of speaking to for me personally when I'm at church, like I need to be singing. I feel like I need to engage. Like that's how I worship best is singing. And so for me, when I see others standing and not singing, it was hard for me to understand how they are able to worship <clears throat> um, and, and be more or less connected with God in in that space. Um, so we were able to have that conversation again from a place of understanding of, all right, Andrew, help me understand for yourself how you're able to worship and be in God's presence without vocally worshiping, but still having that posture. Cause I know obviously it's not a musical or out- outward expression a lot of times, but it also can be. And, and the, the goal of the conversation from the beginning was all understanding. There was no purpose of you thinking that you needed to correct me. There was no purpose of me thinking I need to correct you. It was just a literal of like, okay, we're coming from two completely different camps, but why do we even have two completely different camps here? It was a, a legitimate just, we need to understand each other. But not because it's a first tier theological issue, but because of the fact that in us understanding the way that we worship and the way that we see God and the way that God communicates with us as individuals allows us both to grow in terms of relationship with each other, but as well as allows us to even grow in our relationship and understanding who God is. Because if God is able to work through one person this way and work through another person this way, and both people are in the same room 
doing two completely different methodologies and coming away with the exact same experience. That's only possible if it's a God thing. Yeah. That's not possible in any other way. And because it was also done in a setting that was appropriate to have a discussion between two people in a public setting that was not being recorded, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it allowed for not only it to be reconciling for us and illuminating and and edifying for us, but also for those around us, because we were all there with the same purpose in mind of studying together and growing together as a community and as a family. And now this actually does lead us into a couple of things we want to get across as well. There are times that disagreements lead to different results, all of which are healthy and biblical. And so the first thing we're going to look at is Paul and Peter that have a disagreement in Galatians chapter 2. Now, this disagreement, for those that don't know, is that Peter, who was the first one to go to the Gentiles, there's a problem in Galatia of the Judaizers, people that think you must convert to Judaism and then be able to convert to Christianity. You cannot be a Christian and not a Jew. So this is one where they're saying you must be circumcised, you still have to follow some of the purity rituals, all of these sort of things, in order to be a Christian. Peter had rejected the Judaizers because God had given him the vision. This is why we eat bacon. That vision is important. Now, the problem, though, comes is that when Peter is with the Gentiles— He has no problem eating with them, conversing with them. They're a Mago Dei. They're my brothers. We are reconciled together and reconciled to God. And so we all enjoy fellowship. Until some high-level Jews and Judaizers come around, and then suddenly Peter is off with the cool kids and leaving his new friends behind. Paul has a problem with this. And so Paul, he says that he went and he rebuked Cephas to his face in public in the midst of all of these other people. Why would he do that? Basically to show of uh, Peter being supposed to be an example of a Christ follower. Like the example you're seeing being set is not the way. (laughs) Well, and it, it goes one step further than that either. Even because Paul could have just taken Peter's side, say, Hey, look, you know, you've got your little click over you here. You done messed up. You done messed up. You've got your click over here, but we, we know that that's not how God wants us to act here. You know, you, you walked with Jesus. You saw Jesus interact with Samaritans and women and rabbi, everybody. He interacted with everybody the same. Let's all just get along. This is the way to go. Correction, right? That That's what yeah. we've got. Yeah, that's not what Paul says he does. Paul says that he goes and he rebukes Peter and he does it in the presence of everybody around him. And it's because what Peter was doing 
was that the disagreement that he was causing was he was telling this group of people that they were not meeting his expectations. Paul does has a problem with that because those expectations were denying Amago Dei, an essential doctrine. And so he rebukes Peter in public in front of everybody to set the example. Because Peter is supposed to be the example. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the rock on which I build my church, is what Jesus tells Cephas when he renames him Peter. The only reason he we even know he's Pe- named Peter is because Jesus names him that, to be the example for the rest. And he was in the wrong and denying people their opportunity to be reconciled because of the fact that other people were around. And so Paul dealt with it in a way that was appropriate for that setting. And that is the first key to all of this is that the setting had to match what was going on. He was not calling Peter out to start rumors or to start a civil war within the church. He was calling Peter out to correct a narrative that Peter, whether intentionally or unintentionally, was starting. And so everybody around had to understand what was actually happening and hear the dialogue and hear the discussion. Because as Peter and Paul are reconciled together, the Gentiles and the Jews within that congregation are able to be reconciled together. And ultimately the entire Galatian church is able to be reconciled back to God in worship. Hmm. So just, so that's the first example that we've got of an actual disagreement among believers within scripture. And that is somewhat of an extreme example, (laughs) but it has a happy ending, right? It's a happy ending. Now we'll go to one that looks like it's not a happy ending. Acts chapter 15, we're back to Paul again. Paul seems to have a lot of disagreements with people. Paul and Barnabas are sent out as missionaries. Everybody knows this. Paul and Barnabas are the mission team. Go Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas has a cousin or nephew because, again, the Greek makes it all confusing with who's related to who. They have Mark with them. Now, Mark gets bored, gets scared, doesn't like this life of traveling around preaching the gospel, and so he just abandons them and goes home. Paul takes this personally. Shout out to the meme. That was intentional. Paul (laughs) takes this personally. And so when it's time to go out on a second missionary journey... Paul and Barnabas begin to go. Barnabas asked Mark to come back with them. Paul, still hurt that Mark deserted them the first time, says, no, I'm not taking him with us. He left us last time. He is not qualified to do this. There's a disagreement that comes up. And ultimately, they cannot come to an agreement. And so Barnabas takes Mark and they go off into Asia. Paul takes Silas, and they go off into more of the Europe area. It seems like there's no reconciliation, and now we have a church split. But that's not actually what has happened. 
Why is that not what's happened, Brandon? It's more of an agree to disagree and basically serve our purposes of mission in different areas that would be both effective for how we're gifted in those places that we're best called to serve. It's not a, it, there was reconciliation. The fact that both of them felt like they were doing what God had called them to do. And so both of them allowed the other to go do what God had called them to do. Even if that meant that they were no longer a quote unquote team because they were still all on the same team. They were all going out. They were all going to spread the gospel and plant churches and, and see church growth. And we know that both of them had successful ministries. And we also see one other aspect of reconciliation within that story. You know, anybody that has listened to Dr. Linville talk about discipleship relationships and even the whole idea of why he want, he signed on with Ministry Misfits as REP is because of the fact that Mark was the ultimate example of what a ministry misfit really was. Paul had an idea of what his ministry was supposed to look like. That ministry did not fit him. Barnabas saw the potential in Mark and let him find his way and find his ministry centered in on Christ, centered in on what Christ has called him to do, our first tier essentials. And in the process... Mark discovers his calling as a writer. And so Peter takes Mark and gives him the gospel of what Peter saw personally, and Mark writes it down for us. And then that spreads throughout these churches to the point where Matthew decides to write his gospel. Luke decides to write his gospel and because of this, in the end, when Paul is about to, when Paul's on his way out on his farewell tour, he wants Mark along with him. We have a, not just a reconciliation of we agree to disagree, and so we go our separate ways, but we can still love each other. It's a, we agree to disagree on the method of which we are doing our ministry. Because God has given us each a different method to use to the people that we are called to go serve. And because of that, the gospel spreads. Yeah, and we, we've talked a little bit previously, too, specifically on like sports ministry. Since right. that's, again, more of our background of being in sports and where we came from, especially from CSRM. Um, but some people don't always find that effective and Again, depending upon your community, it may or may not be effective as well. So sometimes that can be a, all right, that's not where I'm gifted at. And so going into a place or doing ministry that involves sports might not be God's calling for you or even for that community potentially from your church. Um, so I think that could even be a at least real life example for us to look at too. Well, we even we even know what that looks like. This is our fourfold rubric, right? Is it, it is it strategically relevant to your community, and is it efficiently effective in the reaching of your community, the reconciling of your community? 
Because just because it's effective in one place does not mean it's going to be effective in another. And so rather than arguing about it and calling calling people names because they do a specific type of ministry, that is not the way that we are supposed to go about it. Instead, we're supposed to have these discussions of why do why is it that I prefer to go into a church and look at reaching the community as opposed to going into the church and just focusing on the people in the pews. This is a philosophical methodological difference that we need to have the discussion about, but ultimately we agree on the essentials. And because we agree on the essentials, we can figure out what is actually strategically relevant and efficiently effective for a community. Yeah, And that leads us. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, even just a real life world example, since we talked about business a few weeks ago on an episode, <laughs> we, we all know our, our wives loves Target and is very successful here in the in the States, but they tried to put Target in Canada. It did not work. And just something that you were like, yeah, you put a Target anywhere. Sure. I'm sure people will be shopping there. No, it did it's not work. They didn't which, call it Target to make that's it That's right. It wasn't. It was shout, shout out to our Canadian and French listeners since we actually have some now. Maybe not after this. But, you know, we this is a disagreement in which we can agree to disagree. Shout out to our neighbors in the north. Now, the other <laughs> the other example in scripture we have again comes from Paul, but this time Paul's not involved. Philippians chapter 4. We talked about Philippians chapter 4 when we talked about peace. Because this is where we get the idea of, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and repetition, you know, make your request known to God. You know, peace that passes understanding, all this sort of thing. That's what everybody focuses on when we read chapter 4. Because there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff that gets misused. But there's a lot of good stuff that needs to be used as well. But there's also a very short section that I've never heard preached. And I, the next time that I'm asked to preach, I may just do it. So that way there's at least one sermon on this. Cause this little <laughs> verse has way more impact, especially in today's culture than I think we ever would give it credit. And so verses two and three, this is after Paul is getting ready to close out his letter. And so he's thanking everybody for their support. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, that seems like a completely incoherent thought that's just kind of scribbled in there. Yeah. And that's partly because I didn't want us to read eight verses to get the full context when we really only need to focus on these two. We have two women that are arguing. We don't know what it's about, but now because Paul decided to call them out, 2,000 years later, we're talking about the fact that they were having this argument, which just <laughs> cracks me up because it makes Paul seem petty, but yeah. he's not. And we'll get to why he's not in a minute. They're arguing about something. And Paul is saying, somebody just go and help them figure this out. <laughs> Because obviously this argument has gone from just a disagreement to an actual argument if Paul has heard about it in another country way off in the distance. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is not social media era where we know that that they're having a disagreement because they're arguing on Twitter. Yeah. They're having a disagreement big enough that Paul finds out, but we also know that it's not something that is really that serious of an issue because Paul just asked for somebody to go fix the problem for him. This is not a first tier level issue. This is not a doctrinal argument. They just can't get along. You know, maybe she accidentally mowed over one of her rose bushes. I don't know. But <laughs> something has happened that has caused discord among the community because these two women are fighting. But look at what Paul actually says about these women. They have contended for the gospel at my side. That is why he wants this argument to be settled is because these women were essential to the planting of that church in Philippi. And so Paul is telling them, look, somebody needs to either, either somebody needs to step in and help them mediate this problem. Or these women need to read this letter and realize that you are partners together in the gospel. You have a way of reconciliation because both of you have been reconciled to God and have been reconciling your community back to God and to each other. That is the ultimate compliment coming from Paul. And so, yeah, Paul looks petty because he's calling these two women out. So 2,000 years later, we're talking about them arguing. But Paul also reminds us that even though they were in argument and in disagreement, these women were partners together together and with Paul for the mission of the church. Mm -hmm. This is why we can be confident that disagreement is, is not sinful and disagreement does not disqualify us unless we allow it to. Yeah. And I think the other challenging part that where the sin side can lead into is gossip as well. Right. So, somehow you can almost got, accuse Paul of here. <laughs> yeah. So it's like somehow a lot of gossip got to Paul somewhere along the lines, but he, from what we can potentially see, did not continue the train. He was looking kind of, to correct, right? Correct. This is correction, action. training, and righteousness. Yes. Um, and which I think is hard for us sometimes being that third party where we see people within our congregation, within our community in disagreement, and we don't properly know or aren't properly properly equipped to speak up or stand into. And sometimes that's not also not our place sometimes too, as well. Right. I want to be Which goes back to Peter and Paul. Yeah. Or, you know, Paul had the authority to rebuke Peter and to do it publicly because that was part of the responsibility that Paul had as an apostle. And it was part of the responsibility that Peter had as an apostle. And so this, you know, leads us into the, the conclusions we want to get to and make sure that people are clear on. Disagreements are okay and healthy 
as long as our hearts and our reasons are out of love and reconciliation. Plain and simple, if that is our goal and that is our mindset and our heart set, then it's okay to be in disagreement. And honestly, it's actually somewhat healthy to be in that sort of situation. Mm -hmm. It is okay if your disagreement ends in another disagreement. You can still be disagreeing even after you have reconciled. That is not a problem as long as, again, we're not talking first-tier theology. And more so, our hearts are in the right place and we have been reconciled. Disagreements can end in a healthy division. We all know they can end in an unhealthy division, but they can end in a healthy division. This is what we see with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. It all ended in a very healthy division. They divided, and by dividing, the ministry grew. Because now everybody was in a place in which they were able to be used more effectively. Yeah. You know, that, that's something that isn't talked about enough when we talk about making peace with others. Is that sometimes trying to keep the peace can actually be the unhealthy option because it reduces the opportunity for growth. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we want division. We want reconciliation. But sometimes reconciliation looks like division to the outside world. And that's okay when it's healthy. And done out of love and reconciliation. And disagreements do not mean disfellowship or lost salvation. And now this last one is one that we need to just very quickly address from a current events side of things. Some of you are aware that Reverend Dr. Al Mohler Jr. had spoken at the NatCon 3 convention back on Thursday of last week as you're listening to this. And the statement that he made was that if you do not vote or do not vote conservatively, then you are unfaithful to God. That is a a heretical lie and a disagreement that needs to be called out as such. Mm -hmm. Because politics are not first level theology. No. And so when we disagree, we can agree to disagree as long as we are reconciling together again. But instead, the statement that was made was that if you disagree, you are cut off. And this, the reason, because again, this is part of the reason why we normally don't call out people by name, is because of this very thing, is that most of these things that we're disagreeing upon, even when it's sometimes it's first level stuff, our job is not to call out the persons, to call out the problem. Yeah. But in this specific case, We have to call out both the person and the problem like we see Paul do with Peter. Because Dr. Al Mohler Jr. is a pastor to pastors. And for a pastor to pastors to say publicly that 
if you are a Christian that does not vote the way that he does, you have lost fellowship is something that needs to be called out for what it is. That is not scriptural. Mm-hmm. We just looked at what scripture talks about as far as how we disagree and that we can have these disagreements, including political disagreements, and end up in disagreement in the end, but still be able to reconcile together and actually worship together. Because we are all made in the image of God and we are all reconciled to God and we are all saved by the same theological statements of Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead and he has made a place for us to go. That is the gospel, not the second amendment, not pro-life, pro-choice, not LGBT or anti-LGBT. None of those things are first level gospel issues. No. And there is no reason to fear that you are not in fellowship with us as believers because you vote a specific way. And so that's part of the reason why we decided we need to actually record this with the mics working this time. (laughs) Hopefully. Yes, hopefully, because of the fact that this is something that we don't do well, especially here in a social media age in the United States and Canada, shout out to you, as far as disagreements among believers. Mm -hmm. Because we want to make everything a first-level theological issue. And in doing so, we actually lose sight of what is important. And in doing so, we hurt a lot of people. Because everybody's made in the image of God, and so therefore we have something in common that we can reconcile to. So, let us know where you disagree. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to wrap it up. I mean, you, you said it perfectly right there. But yeah, there's a couple different spaces where people have the opportunity to disagree. Uh, yes. One is our Facebook group where you can go on there and post different discussions based on certain topics that are happening in the world. Uh, it could even be from some of our episodes specifically, but we want to hear from you. Yes. So go. It's uh, if you go to the Facebook page in general. And then you can find the group from there or search Ministry Misfits Community. You can find it that way as well. You can also just comment on the video if you are watching this on YouTube or Facebook. Um, Normally, we get notified that people are commenting, but not always. And I don't know why that is. Some people, for whatever reason, we value your opinion, even if Facebook makes it look like we don't. So let us know on, on what what you agree with, what you don't, all of that good stuff. Um, in the meantime, also, if you would like to support, vocalize your agreement with us through support, you can do that in two major ways. One of them is through Patreon, patreon.com backslash ministry misfits. Um, there are four levels there with different levels of sponsorship and different levels of perks for doing it, um, including some... Um, extra episodes from Christian Taylor, as well as our favorite Canadian, Joe Ash Thomas, since apparently we're just going to keep talking Canada. In our trend today. Yep. Yes. So um, 
in in addition to that, the merchandise store is also online and up and running. And so you can find all of our Tikva products, including the Tikva Tees and Rob Elder's version of our theme song. Um, and it's been all updated the money for, too. Yes, and it has been updated um, yeah, because we, we I found out that... Group. Yes, we, we did a focus group and found out that my colorblindness had apparently made it impossible to navigate the store. So we, we fixed all of that. Um, and there are some new items on there as well. Like you said, again, you can find Rob Elder's verse. Um, that A download for that, the money goes to Tikva, as well as the Tikva Tees and the other Here Comes the Misfits merch. Um, you also will find some other Misfits gear as well there, including maybe a shirt that says I done did wrong. Um, and the <laughs> Brandon, anything else that you can think of? Not after that. I think I just need to sign up for an English course. So, well, yeah, probably that, and maybe do some math while you're at it to fix our that problem for us as well. So, True. anyway, we we will talk to you all next week. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Ministry Misfit Media in association with Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. The Ministry Misfits theme song is written and produced by J.D. Laird and Laird Creative Agency. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also visit our website at www.ministrymisfits.com or through bio.link backslash ministrymisfits. If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com backslash ministrymisfits. 